In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. We consider the epistle, 1 Thessalonians 4. Dear friends in Christ, true story, a man, let's call him Bill, loved to read his Bible in his own personal life every day. He was good at teaching Scripture to others, young and old alike. He told everyone and encouraged them, read your Scripture every day. And he followed his own advice. He led by example. You could tell that he had a very rich personal devotion life. But then his mom died. And not long after, he admitted in an intimate moment, you know, I read my Bible like usual every day, but I'm afraid to say I feel nothing from it. Another true story. A young lady, let's call her Mary, grew up with a hard life. She saw her mom go through more than one ugly divorce. She herself endured abuse of the sexual and physical and emotional kind. She wanted more than anything to find a husband, but a long string of boyfriends kept using and abandoning her. She struggled with addictions and suicidal thoughts. She had tense relations with her blood family members and turbulent arguments. At one point, she told a pastor, you know, I feel so alone. Everyone has somebody, but all I have to keep me company are my problems, my dog, and my sleepless nights. I have no one. And don't you tell me that thing I think you're about to tell me, she told the pastor. So he asked, what do you think I'm about to tell you? And she said, you're going to tell me that God is always with me. She did not want to hear that. So where can we find help for people like a man who loves Bible reading but at a tough time in life gets nothing out of it? Where can we find help for someone who goes through a long string of an ugly life and doesn't want to hear the fact that God is with her she finds that more irritating than comforting. Today's theme is saints triumphant. And the fact is that yes, God wired you for a relationship with Him, but He didn't just wire you for a relationship only with Him. Let's focus today on that letter S at the end of the word saint, in the phrase, saints triumphant. God has given us wondrous blessings through the church, whether saints militant here on this earth still living or saints triumphant that we only have in our memory. The Apostle Paul put an S on the end of a word. It could have just as easily been the word saint or sister when you hear the word brother. It could have said brothers and sisters. But take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4 in your bulletin today. It's on page 4 of your service folder. 
Paul said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, so that you do not grieve in the same way as the others who have no hope. Apparently, the Thessalonian church had a lot of people in it who loved their fellow believers, but then those fellow believers died and left some gaping holes in the lives of the congregational members. And Paul does not help them by saying, oh, come on now, think positive, cheer up. No, he says, you grieve. No, you do not grieve like the unbelievers who have no hope, but you grieve. This reminds me of another true story with another young woman. Let's call her Grace. Grace had an older sister that she admired very much and loved dearly, but then that older sister died a somewhat untimely death, and Grace had a lot of trouble processing her emotions. Finally, uh, an elderly, believing Christian upright woman, a godly aunt of hers, approached her and gave her a chance to spill her guts a little bit. Her aunt said, so, tell me, how is it? And Grace said, it blankety-blank sucks. That upright Christian woman looked Grace right in the eyes and said, yes, yes it does. You'll notice she did not scold her for using vulgar language, although she didn't approve of it either. She simply sat there and let herself feel grief along with her beloved niece. And that is the gift, the kind of blessings that God has in store for you through the saints, through the congregation of believers looking forward to triumph. A group of people that don't just make you sit at home alone imagining what it's like to have Jesus standing there by your side. A group of people that don't just leave you by yourself with your Bible. No, the Christian church is not just you and Jesus, it's you and me and them and all of us with Jesus. Not in a closet, but out in public. But what if you are one of those people who suddenly has to play the role of the listening ear? How do you help the people like Mary or Grace when they need an empathetic response? When they are feeling so much grief over having lost a loved one that they almost want to cuss a blue streak? What do you say? Well, often we default to phrases like, well, at least so-and-so is free from pain now, or your departed loved one is enjoying the glories of heaven. And those things are true and good to say, but that's not where the Apostle Paul starts in this letter to the Thessalonians. He doesn't talk so much about the departed soul, he talks more about the bodies that we bury in the ground. And he begins with the resurrected body of another human named Jesus. Look at verse 14. Indeed, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. 
You could call that a sleep word, a euphemism, if you want. But usually we think of euphemisms as a flowery way to cover up an ugly topic and talk about it with different words. A sort of figure of speech. And Paul is not here glossing over the ugliness of death when he calls it a sleep. He means it quite literally when you pull open that drawer in the morgue and see the pale body on a slab. When you think of those decaying bodies under your shoes in a cemetery, Paul tells us, no, they are actually sleeping very deeply, but they will wake up again one day. And you will wake up again. And God will reunite your bodies with your souls and put all the molecules and cells back together again. When Paul founded the church in Thessalonica, they almost immediately had serious problems. A huge riot went raging through the city searching for Paul's missionary team. They dragged the new converts into court. Paul had to rush through his instruction lessons with the Thessalonians so that it's kind of surprising that a church even lasted in Thessalonica. Paul did not get to go over every last detail about Judgment Day. He told them a few things, but not all the particulars. And there you see a wonderful thing about the Word of God. Jesus constantly describes God's Word like a seed. And the thing about a seed is, even though it looks like this tiny little rock, it has inside of it all the genetic material, all the DNA to grow into a fully healthy plant. So even though Paul did not tell them much about Judgment Day, they still had the seed that could grow and they could make conclusions based on Jesus' resurrection. That's really the point of Paul when he wrote, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He wasn't saying, well, some of you might believe this and some of you don't, but are you one of those believing ones? No, he meant it, the word if, in the same way that we would say since. In other words, since you've already trusted the report about Jesus dying and coming back to life, you can safely assume some things about your own death based on what happened to Christ. In the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, you Water of Life listeners, don't just take that and say, ah, oh, neat. I can hear once or twice that Jesus died and resurrected, and from that I can conclude anything else I might need to know about the Bible. No, because the Thessalonians also showed us it's possible to draw some false assumptions about God's Word when you take those seeds into your soul. We are by nature sinful, and we can misinterpret Scripture too. You see that in verse 15. Paul has a funny way of talking. We say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Strange, right? Why would Paul put it that way? The 
living Christians on Judgment Day will not precede, they will not go ahead of or come before the dead Christians who have been buried. Why not just say, well, all believers in Christ will be raised up at the same time. That gets the same point across and it's a much simpler way of saying it, isn't it? But it seems that the Thessalonians had cooked up some of their own notions about religion. We can't pinpoint exactly what it was, but it was something like those believers who died are going to miss out on Judgment Day. Or maybe they thought something like Jesus will do Judgment Day in different phases. He will first take those who are still alive and then the dead believers will have to enjoy a sort of second-class heaven. Whatever it was, their notion was a misguided thought that Judgment Day will happen in shifts. And maybe you still know of Christian denominations today that think the last day or the end times will happen in different phases or shifts instead of all at once. Now, the thing is, this really troubled the Thessalonians. They didn't like the thought of missing out on seeing their resurrected loved ones. And that's what happens when we cook up our own religious notions or we trust the teacher in between our ears more than any other teacher. It's actually those false assumptions about our religious beliefs that cause us the most trouble. Whatever it is that bothers you the most in life right now, you can probably trace it back to a misguided understanding that you have about God or His Word. Ask yourself, do you stay away from Bible class because you are worried that if I learn more of Scripture, it's just going to tell me ways that I have to kill all the fun in my life? Anything that brings me joy. Well, here we see it's just the opposite. It is our false assumptions about God and His Word that actually cause us the most grief, and it is learning more about Him that relieves that grief and brings us that joy. Paul does this with one of the most catastrophic things you can imagine, Judgment Day. He says, The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. You can't miss it. It will be so loud that it will wake the dead. Jesus won't do Judgment Day without your attention to it. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. You'll get to see your loved ones who have died again. Their bodies will be put back together. Your bodies will be put get back together. And just like Jesus ascended after His resurrection, we will get to fly. Finally, Pastor Zarling will get his fantasy fulfilled of flying like a superhero. But we won't just be floating around in the sky all the time. We will actually, with our resurrected bodies, get to walk on a new ground under a new sky. And if you have struggled with loneliness like Mary or Grace or Bill, then remember that on that day, all of that loneliness will never return. Paul says, we will always be with the Lord. Amen.